You're listening to the Plano Pulse, a Plano Chamber podcast keeping you in tune with the heartbeat of the local business community. It's time for the Plano Pulse. We here at the Plano Chamber are working hard on our events now. We would love to partner with you as a sponsor in many other ways. We'd love to connect with you and get you more information on how you can partner with us on these great events. Find out more at planochamber.org or contact any Plano Chamber staff. Hello and welcome to Plano Pulse, a podcast of the Plano Chamber of Commerce. My name is Kelly Marcellus and I serve as the president and CEO of the Chamber. And I'm Emily Zug, chair of the board for the Plano Chamber and vice president with Veritex Community Bank. Emily, I'm really excited to have this conversation today. It is that time of year. It is the time of year when our kiddos, small and mighty as they may be, bring home lots of fun illnesses, and we're all a little run down from the holidays and year-end activities, and it's kind of the perfect storm for what we're seeing with a lot of folks that we know. It seems like every meeting and event we go to these days, somebody ultimately can't be there because kiddos are sick and then parents get sick, and so I know you've had some of it recently. Oh, yes. I think as we speak, my husband is taking my son to the doctor right now. So, so you know, hopefully he'll be oh. fine for his soccer party today and spending the night with his grandparents tomorrow night. You know, it's we've we've had a lot of it, a lot of it recently. So I know. And I'm just holding my breath because that was one thing that I enjoyed about being a little bit more separated and locked down from COVID was we didn't have as much illness with the kids. But Oh, so far, knock on wood, no illnesses in my house, but I feel like I just, uh, I maybe just brought it by saying that, but I'm thrilled to have our guests today um, because there's so many myths and kind of that parental advice, as I use my air quotes around parental advice, going around about things, respiratory illnesses like RSV and the flu and kind of what we can do as parents and community members. Um, And our guest today is a real expert in this topic. And we're so lucky to have a resource like this in our community. Children's Health is not only a major employer and member of the business community, but the services they provide um, for everyone is amazing. And I think, Emily, you and I can both say that we have used their services and resources quite a bit in the past. Oh, yes. My daughter alone, we've been there three times in the, in the ER since August. So we, we know them well. But I will have to say, every time I was so impressed with all of the staff and the doctors and the nurses and the care, um, you know, and, and helping make my children feel comfortable when they're not feeling well. So yeah, Absolutely. And I've used the foster care clinic before. I know we've had the the leaders of the foster care clinic on the podcast before and they do amazing work. So I am super excited to ha- be joined today by talk- by Dr. Carla Garcia Carreno. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dr. Carreno and then welcome her um, into the podcast. So Carla Garcia Carreno, MD, diagnoses and treats children who have a rare infectious disease or suffer from more common infections that require complex treatment. She is a pediatric infectious disease specialist at PID Associates and the medical director for infection prevention and control at Children's Medical Center, Plano. She is also a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Pediatric Infectious Disease Society of America. 
From rare tropical diseases in Venezuela to complicated local infectious problems, Dr. Carreno has treated a wide variety of infections. This gives her the expertise to help children overcome even the most complex illnesses. Dr. Carreno earned her medical degree from the Universidad Central de Venezuela. She then completed residencies at Pediatrics Hospital Universitario de Caracas in Venezuela and at Driscoll Children's Hospital in Corpus Christi, a Texas A&M College of Medicine residency program. She came to UT Southwestern Medical Center in 2007 for her fellowship training in pediatric infectious diseases. In addition to helping families in the clinic, Dr. Carreno does research that could help improve care. Her main research focused on finding the best management for respiratory viruses. She is also working toward understanding a rare disease called acute flaccid myelitis, which I probably said wrong, but we'll have to ask her about it, which affects the spinal cord. And in her spare time, Dr. Carreno enjoys traveling with her husband and son, reading and enjoying nature. Ooh, Dr. Carreno, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ms. Marsalis and Mrs. Sook, for having me. It's a really, uh, really a pleasure to be here. Well, let's jump right on in with some some questions that we have. Um, obviously, seeing our kiddos, um, you know, sick and going to the doctor lately. So, what types of illnesses and viruses are you seeing this winter season? Yeah, uh, Mrs. Sook. So. You know, we're seeing a regular respiratory viruses that we usually see this time of year, um, mainly RSV, um, also influenza. We are seeing lots of influenza A, that's the predominant. And we're also seeing the common cold viruses like rhino and enteroviruses. Rhino and entero have been the predominant viruses that we're seeing this season. Uh, we're still seeing COVID-19. So we see the SARS-CoV-2, um, the virus that causes COVID-19 is another prevalent virus and other viruses that include parainfluenza and human metanemovirus. So why is it different this season? So what we're seeing is the behavior has been totally unpredictable this time, has been very atypical. So for example, RSV, which is one of the viruses we're seeing. RSV annually usually presents in fall and winter season. And uh, in North Dallas, we had circulation of RSV during the summertime, which is very, very unusual for RSV. And now, which is the regular RSV season, fall and winter, we're seeing numbers that are uh, unprecedented. We're seeing very, very high uh, number of cases. Another unusual behavior thus far is, is the flu. Influenza viruses are behaving atypically. We usually start seeing influenza in October, uh, so um, and then usually peaks in December, January, and then comes down. However, we started seeing a lot of cases in October and November, and for the past six weeks alone, we have had at least, uh, so we're talking about the, the weeks of October and the first two weeks of November, we have had half of the number of cases that we had in the entire season for the 2021-2022 season. So this is a very early season for influenza, and it's something that has been described nationwide. So in general, the number of cases of respiratory viral infections that are, we are seeing this season have reached unprecedented levels. So 
as you said, originally, when you were introducing the podcast, many of our children are getting sick with respiratory viruses. So can I ask you a question specifically about RSV? Because I'll be honest, I never heard about it until I had a, a small one. And I remember my daughter was about six months old and she we, she got really sick. She was having trouble breathing. I was very scared because I had no idea what was going on. And we took her in and they said she had flu, RSV, like all these things at once. What like what is kind of the difference between RSV and maybe some other types of illnesses that kids get a lot? Um, yeah, that's an excellent question because you know RSV, as I said, is a virus that we see every year uh, in somebody like an older children, adolescent, or an adult. Um, usually, RSV causes like a cold, common cold type of symptom, and usually it's confined to the upper respiratory airway. However, in younger kids, kids less than two years of age, uh, particularly the ones, the ones infants less than one, uh, that um, uh, infection can involve the lower respiratory airways. So it will go not only to the upper nose and throat, but it will go down uh, to the smallest airways called bronchioles. So it causes a picture called bronchiolitis. So even though bronchiolitis uh, may be caused by different viruses, RSV is the main cause of bronchiolitis in our kids. And so when you have a small baby, so you said your daughter was six months old, so definitely the ones that are less than year old, and particularly the ones that are less than three months old, they can have a severe picture uh, with RSV because these bronchioles, these lower airways are very tiny. And if they get inflamed and if they get some mucus production, they, they block and clog very easily. So they have difficulty breathing. They have difficulty maintaining the level of oxygen. So that's why uh, a virus that in older uh, kids uh, may be just very benign, just causing like a cold, in infants may be very severe. And some, some babies, it's estimated about 3% of babies may require hospitalization. But uh, usually when these babies need to be in the hospital is because they need to have some oxygen support or they're dehydrated and they need to have an IV for, uh, for fluids or, or some sort of rehydration and they're not feeding well and sometimes we need to put a tube for feeding. So it's a, it's a very, um, it can be very scary for the parents. Some kids, maybe especially the young ones, may, may need to go to the ICU. So that's why the, the, the vigilance needs to be very important. And bronchiolitis can also be caused by other viruses. It's like influenza can cause bronchiolitis. COVID can cause bronchiolitis. But RSV is the main one that are, um, is going to cause our, uh, bronchiolitis. That's so interesting to hear. My my son had um, RSV several times as a baby as well. I would say probably more between six months and a year and a half old. Um, so not in the very first few months old, but mm-hmm. it was still very scary as a parent, mm-hmm. um, especially with your first child going through that. But I've, I've got a couple questions. So my son had the flu. It seems like my son lately is the one that's getting sick, <laughs> but um, he had the flu the week before Halloween. So it was a lot okay. earlier than planned uh-huh. um, and um, woke up on a Wednesday morning, high fever, took him to the doctor, actually had flu and strep. That same day, his classroom, um, his teacher sent home 10 kids out of his class and she went home the same day with fever. And her sub for the next two days had nine out of her 22 students. Everyone was down with the flu. But it was interesting because my daughter didn't get it, but from him and, you know, being close in the home. So how how is it that some 
some may pass on to others and some don't. And then what type of symptoms would parents, um, should parents be aware of that could be cause of concern for the flu or any other other disease? Yeah. Uh, no, that's an excellent question. So I am not sure if you had your daughter tested or she just didn't have symptoms. And so we assume that she didn't get infected because there are like COVID, you can have some cases of asymptomatic flu. So, or very mild illness, you know, just probably feeling a little bit tired and that's it. So flu in general, when we compare to common cold, is a little bit different. It's kind of like more systemic. Um, and so you don't necessarily need to have that congestion and, 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 and cold-like symptoms like you have with rhinovirus or with other viruses. So, uh, but of course, you know, to answer your question, some people may not get infected. It depends on how healthy your immune system is and how close you are with, with that person that is the indexed person or the infected person. So everything that we apply with COVID, as far as, you know, hand washing, try to isolate and separate at least six feet, uh, not sharing utensils and, and mask use actually works for other viruses. So that's why Last year and the year before last, the number of flu and RSV cases were really low because we were applying all of these measures. The, the best way to prevent the flu is to get vaccinated. So I don't know if your daughter uh, had been vaccinated before. Um, and of course, vaccine for, um, influenza vaccination is not going to prevent 100% to get the flu. But definitely, you're going to have a, a less severe course if you were vaccinated. So but having the vaccine may have played a role on your daughter's protection. But again, you can have asymptomatic or, uh, or, or very mild symptomatic uh, influenza disease. However, you know, that you also brought, Mrs. Um, Sook, a very important point, which is uh, what can parents, you know, be um, aware of and what they need to watch uh, for their kids. So, as I said, you know, many of these uh, viruses uh, may cause only a common cold type of picture or low-grade fever, and then it, it, it will go um, away. But influenza also may be associated with um, conjunctivitis or red eyes, pharyngitis or, or, you know, sore throat, swollen glands. You can have higher fever than your regular common cold uh, type of fever. Um, you can have um, GI symptoms like vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, and uh, body aches. But the most important part of, from influenza is that they can, it can become complicated. And one of these complications may be pneumonia or involvement of the lower airways. So as I said, many viruses just stay confined on the upper airways, but um, they can all cause lower respiratory tract disease or pneumonia. Like, you know, even with COVID, we saw something like that. So it's really important that parents will look for those signs of lower respiratory involvement. And, and I'll tell you about these signs in a little bit. But also influenza, as well as COVID and RSV, they can become secondarily infected. So you were mentioning that your uh, son had both flu and strep. So you can have actually a bacterial infection on top of your viral infection. Uh, so if you have a, a, page, uh, a kid that overall is getting better, maybe the fever went away, and then you have a new onset fever, and, and it's higher than before, uh, it's a course that usually doesn't go along and the, the sum doesn't act, two plus two is four, then you may need to consider, okay, could he have or she have a, a, an, an additional bacterial infection? And for flu, that's really, really uh, one of the, the more fear complication because you can have bacterial pneumonia, including staph pneumonia. So those are the things that 
that you need to watch. So what I will tell parents to watch is make sure that they don't get a complicated course, particularly the involvement of the lower respiratory tract. So specifically, what are these signs? If your child is breathing very rapidly without fever, because every kid with fever will breathe rapidly, uh, if they have any signs of difficulty breathing, meaning retractions or where you can see like a hole uh, on top of the sternum or between the ribs, uh, or below the ribs, or if they have nasal flaring, that you can see how their nose uh, uh, openings are actually opening very severely to get more air inside. Particularly young infants, if they have irregular breathing on all of the sudden and they stop breathing for a few seconds, that respiratory pause is also a cause, um, a sign of lower respiratory tract disease. If they have wheezing, if they have worsening cough from a cough that, you know, was very mild originally, then those are signs of a lower respiratory tract disease. And those are signs that you need to be aware, okay, I, I need to tell my pediatrician and take this uh, my kiddo to the nearest emergency room. Now, other warning signs that... Uh, we as parents need to also follow is to see if there if there is any signs of dehydration. So with these uh, viral illnesses, the intake of fluids is usually decreased. So if your child is not taking enough fluids or even not tolerating fluids, uh, vomiting and not tolerating by mouth, or has any signs of dehydration, for example, uh, pasty, you know, pasty saliva. Uh, or thick saliva, or crying without tears, uh, a sunken head, soft head spot on the on the young infants, or if they are urinating less, those are signs of dehydration. You should also go to um, you know and seek medical attention as soon as possible. Uh, other signs that you your child may have a more severe disease if they have any altermentation, for example, they're very sleepy, lethargic, or they're if they're young infants, very, very irritable, like the other uh, way around, you also need to go to uh, and, and seek medical care. Changes in the color of the skin, especially, you know, if there is any bluish or gray discoloration around the nail beds or around the mouth or on the tongue, the mucosas, then also that's another warning sign. So those are things that the vast majority of the viral infections are going to be milder and, 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 and the immune system is going to control them, but some kids may get a complex or a more complicated course, So, especially if your child has any risk factors, because that's the other thing that is really important that you get a, a good and close relationship with your primary care physician, with your pediatrician, because you will know if your child has any predisposition for severe disease. If your child was born prematurely or if they have any lung disease, including asthma, if, if they have any cardiac disease, those are children that you really need to be especially, uh, you know, vigilant. Hope, hopefully I answered your question. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. That was a lot of information, but it was really good. I, 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 I sometimes feel like to be a parent, you need to have like a minor in nursing or something. Um, and we have been talking a lot about RSV and flu and respiratory illnesses. Tis the season, as they say, for those things. Dr. Karina, would you mind, um, t we kind of touched on this a little bit um, before the break in some of the symptoms and things that parents should look at. But one of the things that always plagues me, and my daughter's four now, so I feel like I'm a little more in control of this question, but I'm, I'm always worried about when should I call the nurse line? When should I take her in? When should I do urgent care? And when is it like ER 
level, okay, we need to do something. So can you talk a little bit when it comes to respiratory, maybe what parents could do to kind of decide if they want to do urgent care or call a nurse line or really need to make that move to the ER? Yeah, I would say probably I usually divide it in three steps. The first step is the prevention part. So having a good relation with the pediatrician, getting up to date on childhood vaccinations and influenza vaccination, making sure you know if your child is at risk for severe disease. So that relationship with a primary care physician is really key. As we were mentioning, cardiac disease, prematurity, lung disease may predispose you to a more severe viral illness. And also early in the course of any disease, it's really important that you get that communication active, uh, that channel of communication active with your pediatrician because you can um, uh, schedule an early testing. Um, many of these respiratory infections overlap in symptoms and the only way to, di- to differentiate them is by getting a test. So getting a nasopharyngeal swab for a rapid test, flu, RSV, COVID um, and and other bacterial infections, that's really important. So the early stages, I will say primary care physician is the best, is the best, um, you know, your nursing line, your primary care uh, physician office. It helps in the way of diagnosis. If you are diagnosed early by by means of these tests that we were mentioning, you may um, have um, be eligible for um, medications, for example, oseltamivir for influenza that needs to be started early. Now, if, if, if this happens and your child gets sick after hours or it's a weekend so your pediatrician's office is closed, then I think the urgent care is a good, is a good uh, place to, to go um, because, again, you need to have your early diagnosis to see if you, need, um, if you qualify for treatment, for example. Other considerations for visiting an urgent care facility will include if your, ha- if your child has a non-life-threatening condition. So, for example, your child is well-appearing, doesn't have any warning signs that we just discussed, but I'll review them again when I tell you about the emergency room. Uh, you can go to an urgent care. Now, if your, uh, also your child has uh, gradual symptoms and they're not suddenly and not rapidly worsening, you can also consider the urgent care. However, it's a it's a work in progress. It's a continuing watching. Things may be good on point A and then go downhill on point B. So it's a, it, they need to continue watching for these signs. And if there are any signs of respiratory distress or involvement of the lower respiratory uh, airway, then we may consider going to the emergency room. So at this cause, these signs will include rapid breathing, labor breathing, which is the retractions uh, between the ribs or above or below the ribs any respiratory pauses, any changes in color of the skin and mucosa, any signs of dehydration like uh, dry or pasty oral mucosas, no tears, decrease during output, if they're not tolerating um, uh, fluids by mouth, uh, if they have any decrease uh, or alter mental status, please go to the nearest emergency room because that means that your child may have a more severe respiratory infection. In addition, if your child's condition is, is suddenly worsening rapidly uh, and is fastly deteriorating, you need to take the, the, your child to the nearest emergency room. And sometimes you even need to call 911 uh, if your child has any of these severe respiratory distress signs. So um, uh, that's usually how I advise parents or where to go, because we don't also want to uh, overwhelm the emergency rooms that are, are already busy to begin with. And this is a, a phenomenon we're seeing nationwide with just a, a congestion that started this morning and your child is otherwise well appearing. 
and you want to go to your primary care physician first. I feel we're so blessed because we have an amazing pediatrician um, since my kiddos were born and she's, she's wonderful. And if usually they can get them in the same day, um, very rarely with her, do we have to wait another day or two? Um, but it always seems to happen that my kids get sick in the evening time. Um, and so we spent a lot of care, a lot of time at the urgent care as well, which is right down the road from our pediatrician. And they talk to one another very closely. Um, and we've got, I feel like they're also our primary <laughs> pediatrician in a sense. Um, but we've had to go to the ER, you know, several times this year where we were had an appointment with a specialist a week later and things just got worse, not on respiratory, but other, other issues. And we had to just head straight in to the ER. And so... Uh, it's great to have so many options that are there all times of the day, um, because as a parent, especially when it's at night, you're thinking, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I, you know, just go. If you, if you, you know, I've just learned if you have any doubt, just don't worry about it, just go because someone's going to be there to help. So, but I know we talked a little bit about, you know, how, how the kiddos can, you know, practicing what we learned from COVID, some of those best practices, mm-hmm. six feet apart and, and washing our hands. What are some other ways that parents can help protect their children and themselves from getting sick? Yeah, uh, great question, Mrs. Suk. So basically by keeping your child healthy, uh, this includes regular visits to your primary care physician. Be up to date and all the routine childhood immunizations. Receive the, the influenza vaccine and, and the COVID vaccine if your child is eligible. And it is particularly true for those infants six months and older. We, we're already qualified for vaccination. Uh, also, your pediatrician will know if there are any predisposing conditions for severe disease, as we, as we uh, talked about. And um, in, in regards to RSV in particular, if your child has one of these predisposing conditions, either prematurity, lung disease, or heart disease, there is a, a, a preventive measure that can be established and your pediatrician can help um, you guide on this decision. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends the use of monoclonal antibodies against RSV. It's called palivizumab. And it's a, it's a monthly shot that can be given during RSV season for those uh, infants that are at risk for severe disease. So that's another thing that you need to have the conversation with your pediatrician early on in the year and see if your child qualifies for that. Uh, it is also really important to keep a healthy nutrition, a healthy number of sleep hours, uh, and have your child exercise regularly because if they have um, you know, no problems with weight and blood pressure and diabetes, they're definitely going to be more fit to fight any infection. We saw how COVID-19 very... Um, unequally affected uh, more severely these children that were obese or that had diabetes or high blood pressure. So being healthy is the most important part. Uh, And then, as you said, everything we learned with COVID, we can apply to influenza and to RSV and to rhinovirus and metanumovirus and other viruses. So the uh, frequent hand washing is really important. The cough etiquette, like uh, covering your nose and mouth when coughing and sneezing, and then, of course, washing your hands, try to use your elbow um, or a tissue if you have a tissue. Avoid touching your eyes or your nose or your mouth because then you will bring uh, all this infected material to your to your face. RSV, more than respiratory transmission, is by contact transmission. So hand washing and keeping things clean and not touching your face is the most important way to prevent 
RSV. As we said, avoid sharing utensils. So I know we're a loving family and everybody loves each other, but try not to share your cups or your silverware uh, uh, with your with your children. Avoid kissing the babies in the face uh, because then you may bring those germs to uh, close to their mouth and nose. Um, cleaning and disinfecting the surfaces regularly. So works with flu, works with COVID, works with RSV. It's been shown that the RSV virus may stay on surfaces for up to, up to six hours after somebody that was sick with RSV touched any of these surfaces. Uh, so it's really important to clean and disinfect toys and other surfaces regularly. And also most importantly, if somebody gets sick at home, try to isolate that person as much as possible. Don't send them to daycare or to school if they're sick um, because they can spread it to others. Uh, and also, this is this is really important, actually, with your coming holiday season. If somebody's sick, try to not attend that gathering because then you're risking other people that may be vulnerable for severe disease, especially the elderly or those that have any predisposing condition. For the young babies, and particularly with RSV, as we talked about, Avoid getting your baby, your infant less than six months old, less than three months old to a, to a big gathering because those gatherings also have a lot of viruses that um, are going to be um, you know, landing on your baby. Uh, so especially, you know, like the mall or <laughs> the cinema and all of these uh, uh, crowded settings, uh, try to avoid that during the winter season, especially if you have a young one. So I will say, as I said in conclusion, everything we learned from, from COVID and washing six feet apart. And, you know, it's uh, amazing how during the lockdown and during the COVID pandemic, initially when we were uh, applying these non-pharmaceutical measures, as Ms. Marsalis was saying, we had also our kids were healthy and didn't get the flu or didn't get RSV. Uh, so um, now with the relaxation of the mask use, um, we're seeing all of these viruses kind of like flare up again. So everything that we did for COVID also works for these other viruses. Yeah, it was really, it was very eye-opening for me because as much as the masks and some of the things were inconvenient, um, it was, I mean, in our household alone, I think we went almost an entire year until we got COVID of not being sick. And it was like, wow, this is kind of amazing. <laughs> um, well, I have one last question and you touched on it a little bit, Dr. Carino, um, about vaccines and how important um, getting a flu shot or a flu vaccine can be. I've actually never had one, um, but I am COVID vaccinated. I've been boosted. You know, I, I jumped at that opportunity, which makes me kind of chuckle a little bit that I've always been like, oh, I haven't had a flu shot. I don't know if I should. But yet I was like first in line to get COVID vaccinated. So is that experience kind of the same? Can you talk a little bit about getting the flu shot and why it's so important? Yes, it is really, really important. Thank you for that question, uh, because uh, definitely it's the best way we have. Vaccination is the best way we have uh, to prevent specifically severe disease. So, you know, the efficacy of the flu shot may not be 100%, like the COVID vaccines, efficacy is, is better, the effectiveness, effectiveness is better. But in general, the influenza vaccine has been shown that it will prevent severe disease. So it's been demonstrated that uh, people that get vaccinated had seven to eight times less risk of uh, ending in the hospital when they get the flu or requiring oxygen or ICU care. So definitely, uh, I will say to your question, 
thumbs up, I will get your flu vaccine and give it to your children six, if they're eligible, six months and older. Everybody should get a, an annual influenza vaccine. People may get um, afraid, and I, the answer that I get a lot is, well, every time I get the flu shot, I get sick. And, I, you know, it's the same thing with any vaccine, including COVID vaccine. You're going to react to the vaccine. That's the idea. The idea is that we're priming your immune system. So you are learning to react against that um, intruder, that, that antigen. So your immune system will already be trained and fit. So when it's exposed again or to the real thing, to the natural virus, then you're going to have your tools to fight it. So again, you may still get the COVID or may still get the flu after being vaccinated, but your immune system is going to fight it better. So everything that you're seeing after vaccination is your body reacting to the vaccine. So of course, you're going to feel sick after a vaccine. That actually, um, after I had my second, um, so initially in 2020, when the vaccine was available and I had my my, my second dose, I, I felt horrible. I stayed 24 hours in bed, uh, but then after 24 hours, I woke up like somebody turned the switch, the switch for me and I was happy and normal. I was actually really happy that I reacted to the vaccine. I was happy to have the, the fever and the headache and the body aches because I knew I was reacting to the vaccine. So it's not like you're going to get sick from the flu. Again, you still may get the flu, but you're going to have a much milder disease. And then uh, lots, of, lots of parents, and I probably talk specifically about the COVID vaccine, may be um, uh, worried about the side effects. And I will say, okay, the particularly side effect that made me think about immunizing my teenage boy was the myocarditis, because it's, it's the heart inflammation that has been described uh, after the flu, uh, the, sorry, after the COVID vaccines, but specifically the mRNA vaccines, are in particularly in uh, adolescent males and young adult males. But then when I um, uh, did some research and thought about it a little bit, I always, is what I tell the parents, remember that whatever COVID does is going to be 10 times more severe and more likely to happen after you get the natural COVID disease. So whatever side effect you're worried about the vaccines, you're going to get them 10 times worse when you have the actual disease and you may die from the actual disease. And, um, you know, there is really, the, the vaccine for COVID is, is, is safe. We have a lot of doses that have been provided and it's one of the most robust monitoring systems that we have from the CDC and the NIH uh, monitoring these side effects. So, um Influenza vaccine, we have it available for years. And so we, we do have experience with influenza. So I will say thumbs up, get vaccinated with COVID and flu. And of course, for the other vaccines, routine childhood immunizations, it's really important that, that you get them vaccinated because they can also cause severe disease and even cause uh, um, mortality. Like for example, whooping cough is a major cause of mortality in infants less than three months. And they're so young to have been receiving the vaccine yet. So that's why we, we, we really encourage mothers and it's, 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 the, it's recommended by the American College of Obstetrician is to get every single pregnancy, mothers should get the, the, the Tdap vaccine to protect against whooping cough. We saw the, or during these past two years how initially because parents were 
really hesitant to bring their kids to the pediatricians and expose them to COVID. Uh, but then later on, because of fear of vaccination in general, how the rates of uh, routine childhood immunizations have decreased this past two years. And that's really hurting our, our children because then it's a child, you know, every death that we had from the flu in a child is a death that shouldn't have happened because we have the vaccine. So yeah. any death secondary to a vaccine-preventable disease is a death that shouldn't have happened. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that information. And I'm going to get my flu shot. (laughs) Happy to hear. For sure now. For sure now. (laughs) Um, Well, believe it or not, we're actually out of time. We didn't even get to some of the topics that I know we wanted to ask you about, but we would love to have you back sometime and continue this conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Carino, for all of your knowledge and expertise. And I know um, our listeners will really appreciate learning more about Um, all the risks and the opportunities to combat respiratory illnesses, um, not only in our kiddos, but for the community as well. Well, thank you, Mrs. Suk and Mrs. Marsalis for inviting me and for this opportunity to share with you. Interested in reaching our Plano Pulse listeners? Support the Plano Chamber and the podcast by becoming a sponsor. Contact the Chamber team to learn more. Thank you so much for tuning in to Plano Pulse to learn more about children's health head over to their website and uh, search for all the many programs and services they provide the community. Please let us know what you think, share with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to tune in for our next episode. Hey everyone, Kelly Marcellus here, your president and CEO of the Plano Chamber. Are you looking to kickstart your Friday morning with dozens of local business owners and professionals? Set your alarm and join us for our weekly business interchange meetings for networking worth waking up early for. Meetings are held at 7.30 a.m. every Friday morning. Join us and share your 30-second commercial promoting your business and be the first to hear what's going on with other local businesses. Visit planochamber.org to learn more and we'll see you next Friday.